1: I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome to Politics by Faith with Mike Slater. Today we're going to talk about the death penalty. and I'm very excited to talk about this and I'm also very overwhelmed. But let's do it and uh, we'll see if we can find some peace at the end of it. Because that's what we're doing here. If you are new to the podcast, the genesis of this is there's too much anxiety out there. I feel too much anxiety. My wife feels too much anxiety. All my friends, way too much anxiety. We're all strung up too tight. But I don't want to give up on it all. It's too important. So the point of this podcast is to take the news of the day, take the top story of the day, lean into the anxiety that it may cause, and then give some historical perspective and biblical peace so we can sleep at night, wake up refreshed, and fight another day. If you got a couple minutes, you can go back to our first episode where we describe in more detail what and why and all the rest. But uh, you're here now, so let's jump into it. The Parkland murderer. He killed 17 people. So if you were on the jury, would you sentence him to life in prison or the death penalty? What would you do? Life in prison or the death penalty? It was February 14th, 2018. 19-year-old went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in the suburbs of Miami, Parkland, Florida. Murdered 17 people. He pled guilty. So now it just comes down to the sentencing. And the jury deliberated. And they recommended against the death penalty. Instead, giving him life in prison without the possibility of parole. How do you feel about that? Does that, to you, feel like justice? A little more background here. The murderer, and I don't say the names of these murders, he had a ton of warning signs leading up to the shooting. He was transferred six times within three years for behavioral issues. He was making threats against students. He ended up back at this high school, but was expelled in 2017, and the school banned him from carrying a backpack on campus for fear of weapons he would bring to school. So the warning signs were obvious. One student said if this was going to happen, it was going to be him who did it. So why not give him the death penalty for killing three adults and 14 students? One of the victim's fathers said, I am disgusted with our legal system. I am disgusted with those jurors. That you can allow 17 dead and 17 others shot and wounded and not give the death penalty? What do we have the death penalty for? Hmm. He said, what's the purpose of it? He set a precedent today. You set a precedent for the next mass killing. Then nothing happens to you. You get life in jail. I'm sorry, that's not okay. As a country, we need to stand up and say, that's not okay. One teacher said, he, the murderer, will live his life. He'll probably get love letters. And it means most of the parents will not outlive this shooter. I've lost all my faith in the justice system after this. So how did he get off uh, or not get the death penalty? The prosecutor's argument was that he deserves the death penalty because this was calculated. He shot wounded people multiple times. Well, here's the quote. This plan was goal-directed. It was calculated. It was purposeful. And it was a systematic massacre. So that, you get the death penalty for that. The defense claimed that he can't be blamed entirely because his birth mother, he was adopted at birth, His birth mother drank alcohol when she was pregnant and used cocaine when he was in the womb. So, you know, his defense team in closing arguments said, you now know that this murder is a brain damaged, broken, mentally ill person through no fault of his own. He was literally poisoned in his mother's womb. So they went with the compassionate, sentimental plea of it's not his fault. And it worked because all they needed was one. In Florida, the decision to put someone to death has to be unanimous. There's 12 jurors. If one of them says no to the death penalty, then that's it. It's life in prison without parole instead. And turns out it was one person, one juror said because he's mentally ill, he should not get the death penalty. She said there was no way that I can vote for the death penalty. And she would not budge. And then two others ended up joining her for the final vote. It was seven hours of deliberation and she was not budging. She was moved by the argument from the defense lawyer who said he was doomed in the womb and in a civilized society Do we kill brain-damaged, mentally ill, broken people? And I can hear the rebuttal from people saying, if they kill 17 people, yes. Yes, we do. Same thing happened with the murderer in Aurora, Colorado. If you remember that, he murdered 12 people. One juror said no to the death penalty. Florida used to be a majority Vote for the death penalty. That was it. And that actually went up to the Supreme Court. And then Florida changed it to uh, being unanimous. And now there's talk that they may change it to something in between. So what's going on here? What's the root of this story here? Because people feel this isn't right. You may be one of those people. How could he not get the death penalty? If not here, then when could it possibly be used? Seriously, how many people would you need to kill? How calculated would it need to be? How not insane do you need to be after you just did something that only an insane person would do? I, like, and if that's an excuse, how could that not always be an excuse? And if that's the excuse, oh, you can't put him to death because he's insane. Couldn't you also use that argument for why he shouldn't even be given life in prison? Oh well you you can't give him life in prison. he's insane. Oh, let's just send him to a, a nice minimum security rehab facility instead. I mean I mean he didn't he doesn't even know what he's doing. he's insane that, that pit you have in your stomach about this that is the lack of justice. That's the key word and that's the word we're going to focus on today. The lack of justice. the families feel that there is a lack of justice here and by the way that pit you're feeling in your stomach we're gonna unwind it in a little bit here you won't be feeling that anymore by the end of this episode what is justice now first sidebar your honor we need to be careful here this episode is not about social justice that's that buzzword you hear uh, at least have heard these last few years a lot of social justice The term justice has been hijacked to mean really whatever anyone wants it to mean to achieve their own goals, right? There's social justice and then there's biblical justice, different things. In short, social justice is about groups of people and it's about outcomes for these groups and it's based on government laws. Biblical justice is about individuals and your heart and God's law. See the difference? So social justice is about the group. Biblical justice is about the individual. Social justice is about group outcomes. Biblical justice is about your heart. And social justice is about government's law. and Biblical justice is about God's law. So here we're talking about biblical justice. That's the thing inside of you when you feel betrayed, right? It's like, Oh, it's that pit. You feel like, oh, that's wrong. That's an amazing thing, by the way. That gut-wrenching feeling you have when you hear about an injustice. Praise God that that exists inside of you. Be grateful that that exists inside of you. That feeling of, oh, this feels wrong. Good. Polar bears, for instance. They eat their cubs. If they're desperate enough for food, they'll eat their cubs. So when a male polar bear eats its baby, what's your reaction? You're like, oh, like, that's sad, I guess, or weird, or gross. But if I told you a woman in your neighborhood this weekend ate her baby, you'd have a pretty strong negative reaction to that. And that woman would go to jail forever, you'd hope. But why the difference? One, a polar bear did it, and then one, a human being did it. What's the difference? Why do you feel different? You know, there's a lot of birds that will kill their chicks. They'll eat them or they'll push them out of the nest and fall down to the ground and die. You're like, oh, well, it's a bird. But if a human mother did that, you'd be appalled. Good. Thank you, God, for that sense of justice that he put inside of you. But why the difference? Well, this is the key, because we are made in the image of God. We are set apart. Genesis 1, we are set apart from the animals and made in the image of God. Be careful when uh, you hear people say things like other animals, like, oh, we're different from the other animals, or, uh, or we're one of, uh, one of many animals or in the animal kingdom. We're not, we're different. We're not an animal. So we're made in God's image. So when you hear about the polar bear, or the birds it doesn't affect you the same as when it happens to a human. God is just. He therefore commands you to display justice. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So God is just, we're made in his image. Therefore, we should display justice based not on our feelings, but on his standard of right and wrong, not on our subjective feelings, but on his objective standards of right and wrong. Isaiah, uh, speaking about Jerusalem, he said, as the city was a quote, uh, this is Isaiah 121, uh, Isaiah, uh, or Jerusalem once was full of justice. It once was righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers, your silver has become dross, worthless, Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. My point here is that people long for justice. We want it. We want it so badly. Amos 524, let justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never failing stream. That's what Martin Luther King Jr. used That's from his, I have a dream. Well, that's from Amos, but he used that in his, I have a dream speech. He said, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He was quoting Amos 5.24. And that lie from Martin Luther King Jr. Resonated because it's a universal truth. We long for justice deep inside of us. So did these families in Parkland. The important variable though, we often want justice. Not only do we want justice, we want justice now. And there's no guarantee that you're going to get justice now. Second Thessalonians 1.6 says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. End quote, just not necessarily now. So take the peace of knowing what he said he will do, but just know that you may not get that justice now.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. When you go to TalkSpace.com, match with a licensed therapist today at TalkSpace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at TalkSpace.com. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID 19, the Trump Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, before we move on, let's take some time to lament all of it. Here for a minute. I got a, a wonderful email from Jeanette the other day. She said, a part of your podcast that is so unusual Yet so necessary is the time you take to lament, to grieve this place we find our world in. That in and of itself is enough to get me to tune in more often because I often lament over the world my children will grow up in. And it's worth taking a moment to feel that sorrow before we move on to solutions, strategies, and challenges. Jeanette, I am so grateful that that you get it. You put that beautifully, better than I could. Lamenting is very important. We should do a whole episode just on this talking about it. It's part of the process. Super healthy. The Psalms are full of it. Psalms are full. Why shouldn't we? Psalm 6, check that one out. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Been there before? Psalm 102, my heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. I'm sure you've been so sad before that you don't eat. You don't even think about it. In my distress, I groan aloud, and am reduced to skin and bones. I bet the parents of these Parkland victims felt this way as well. They still might. So let's lament. I I can't begin to understand the grief of these parents, the pain they felt from that day and every day since, and and the feeling of being victimized again by what they consider to be an injustice and having to go through this whole court process The idea that this murderer will outlive them, I can't fathom. I can't, I'm not even in the same stratosphere. Most of these mass murderers, they commit suicide or they're killed by police in a shootout or something. So there's no justice system involved after the fact, but here there was a chance for it. And many of these families feel they, they didn't get it. And I don't know, maybe some families are okay with life in prison. I don't know. I was just gonna say something like, you know, this all being back in the news brought all these terrible feelings back up again. But are you kidding me? Like, as if they don't think about this a hundred times a day. Their son and daughter being murdered—it's the death of what could have been. That's what I'm mourning. And if I was ever in this situation, right, you work as a parent so hard for 17 years of their life, and they're just about to go out into the world on their own. And to be the people you raised them to be. And they had all this potential. These careers they were going on. and Experiences and adventures and relationships. and You were going to meet their wife one day. And their kids. And there were going to be family Christmases and vacations still to come. And now they're all gone. That's what the murderer robbed from you as well. Like I'm here right now. And my kids are, uh, Jack just turned six. Grace is four. Johnny is two. And my wife's about to give birth in three weeks. And I assume that we're going to have X number of wonderful memories with my kids still in the future. And that changes how I interact with them today. And if you knew the real number, you'd act differently. Of course you would. If somehow you knew, hey, you only got a couple weeks, right? You would act differently than this assumption that, oh, well, we got 50 more years. These families did not know how many days they had left with their kids. And that pain and that regret its awful. Okay, let's talk about the death penalty. I have gone back and forth over the death penalty for way too long. I think of Achan. So this is Joshua 7. So God led the Israelites to defeat Jericho and he told them to destroy everything, all of the cities, gold, silver, bronze, and iron, everything. So they did. And they won and they didn't take anything for themselves. Then the Israelites went to attack this city, Ai, spelled A-I. And then they, they sent a spy out and the spy came back. He's like, oh, it was a piece of cake. It was like, no one there. We'll take them out. No problem. So they attack and they got crushed. The Israelites got crushed and 36 Israelites were killed. So they're thinking, well, what in the world? What just happened there? And God said, it's because one of you took the devoted things from Jericho that I told you not to. So there's a long process to figure out who it was. And it was Achan, A-C-H-A-N, Achan. And the punishment was they stoned him and his children, killed his livestock, burned their bodies and everything he had, his tent included in everything. And then God had them attack, I again, and of course won. We'll definitely talk more about this story another day because there's a ton of lessons here. But my point here is he did something bad. His sin, disobedience, resulted in, The death of 36 Israelites. So they killed him. And then God blessed it. There are five reasons for punishing someone when they break the law. The first is uh, incapacitation. So you you punish them, put them in jail so they can't do it again. They can't go do other bad things. You got to keep them away from society. Incapacitation. Number two is deterrence. You punish people so that they don't do it again. Uh, when they get out of jail, but also so other people see it and they learn lessons and they don't do it again. Later in Joshua, Joshua 22, when the tribes were building altars, they said, don't rebel against God like Achan did. Because not only did he die for his sin, but so did 36 other people. So they remembered that was an act of deterrence. Third reason to punish people for breaking the law is rehabilitation. Maybe this person's life could be turned around. If you punish them, they can rehabilitate. Number four is reparation. So it's a process of returning what they took from someone. So they steal from someone, you got to give it back, reparations. And the fifth reason for punishing someone for breaking the law is retribution. So you have incapacitation, deterrence, rehabilitation, uh, reparation, and retribution. The retribution goes back to the Old Testament, Old Testament law. The punishment was supposed to mirror the crime. Now, this is another important distinction that we need to make here because this is where I got tripped up a lot over the years. Retribution and revenge are two different things. Retribution and revenge are two different things. I used to get them mixed up. So revenge is when you punish someone on your own. So someone kills my son. I go out, I hunt them and I kill them. That's revenge. Retribution is when the government punishes that person, that murderer. And then they may kill him with the death penalty, but it's through a justice system. So Old Testament law, Leviticus, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And then God outlines this whole system of needing a certain number of witnesses and and this whole thing. And it's all done through a proper legal system. Now, Jesus later says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. One thing to note here is Jesus is not saying that there should be no retribution for evil. He's talking about you. He's saying you don't seek revenge. You don't seek personal revenge on someone. And as impossible as it is on your own, and I would argue it could only be done supernaturally, the person offended you, you're to offer love and forgiveness. And it's the government's response to enforce justice. You don't seek revenge. They seek retribution. Now, when you empower the government to seek retribution and they fail because it's an extremely imperfect justice system, what do you do then? So I can't trust the justice system to properly execute retribution. So I'm going to take matters into my own hand. No, no, it's about you, your heart. That's what Jesus is talking about, you and your heart. You don't do that. Let the system find retribution. And if it doesn't, it's another time to mourn and to listen to Paul when he said, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord know that he will repay it. I was for the death penalty at first because it was a form of revenge. And I was like, oh no, you're not supposed to do that. Don't seek revenge. So I was against the death penalty. But then I was like, oh no, restitution is different. That's the government seeking rest. Okay, so that, now I'm for the death penalty. But then I thought, well, maybe languishing in prison for the rest of your life is worse than the sweet mercy of death. So then I'm against the death penalty, not for moral reasons, but more just practically like, oh, that's a worse thing. So let's give them the worst thing and that's staying in prison for her. But then I thought, uh, the victim didn't get, the victims didn't get their choice in the matter. So then I was for the death penalty again. But then I thought, well, maybe this person could be saved while they're still on earth and that would be a, a great thing. So then I was against it. You <laughs> see, if I keep going back, But then I read Genesis 9, 6. And it's pretty clear. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Whoever sheds the blood of man, whoever murders someone, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Murder's the ultimate crime. So I may not like the idea of the death penalty for whatever reason, me thinking I'm so compassionate and merciful, but God said it is just to put someone who commits premeditated murder to death. So who cares what I think? And then God even tells you why he commands this: For God made man in his own image. So someone has intentionally taken the life of one of God's children. And in this Parkland case, 17 of them, seven, you've murdered 17 people made in God's image, 17 of God's children. The sanctity of human life is at stake here. Nothing more important than that. So now I'm thinking, well, geez, is, is, is uh, me being against the death penalty? Just another example of adding this sentimentality and this false compassion of our modern age onto our justice system. And we're not relying on God's word, but on our own feelings. In 1995, 80% of Americans supported the death penalty. Today, it's only 55%. It's the lowest level of support for the death penalty in 50 years. And we see less and less of punishing crime across the entire country. And I feel like decreasing support in the death penalty is a similar part of that as well. But is that wise? Listen, I'm not going to tell you what stance you should take on the death penalty. As you can tell, I've been bouncing around for years, but I have come to a conclusion for a lot of things. Who am I to say that God's law is wrong? And when God puts the highest value on human life and the sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. And there was a process in the Bible against the accused. And there were many commands to the judges to be impartial to everyone. I'm just in everything. I'm leaning less and less on my own feelings and more on God's word. So, what's in my control? That's perhaps the most important part of every episode we do here. What is in my control? Because that's where the anxiety is. The anxiety is when you start to worry about things that you have no control over. That's what causes anxiety. So, let's instead focus on the things that are in our control because you have, there's nothing in your control with this case. Nothing. So, let's. Like let go of that. there's nothing you can do with this murderer and this justice system that that was so here we're left to mourn with those who mourn moving forward, our job is to do the right thing now in the moment. that's all you can do not to seek revenge but retribution, and if we don't get it, know that it will come eventually, but not in our timing all that you're accountable for and all that you will be held accountable for are your actions and your heart that's it it reminds me of one of my favorite stories josiah hansen he was a slave he was the inspiration for uncle tom's cabin the book that sparked the civil war and after 41 years of torture and deep betrayal from his owners His first memory as a boy was his dad getting lashed a hundred times and then sold to a plantation down in Louisiana, which was known as the worst place to be a slave. That was his first memory as a boy. So after decades of horrendous treatment, Josiah was put on a boat with his master's son and three other men from Kentucky to Louisiana, where they were going to sell him. And he was scared. And as that trip went on down the river, he became full of rage. And one night, And Josiah was sleeping on top of the deck and his slave masters were asleep underneath. And he became so full of rage, it just overcame him. And he thought, I have the power over these men right now. These men are in my control. I can kill them and escape and no one would blame me for it. Would you? Would you blame him? Would you blame Josiah Hansen for murdering his slave masters and escaping to freedom? Would you you blame him? So he went down where they were sleeping, raised an axe over his head, ready to kill him. And he heard a voice behind him. And the voice said, What? Commit murder? And you, a Christian? He said it was as if there was a person standing right behind him. But to him, this wasn't murder, it was self defense. Who would blame him for what he, what he was going to do? But he didn't do it. He laid down the axe, went back up to his corner of the ship, and in his biography, in his autobiography wrote, I thanked God, as I have done every day since, that I had not committed murder. He decided it was better to live a slave with a clear conscience and a Christian's hope than a free man knowing what he did. The next morning, the entire crew woke up and they were deathly ill. And they begged Josiah to turn the boat around and let's go back home. And Josiah cared for them all the way back to Kentucky. And he was never sold because of the detour. And his master gave him more leniency for saving his son's life And that leniency led to his eventual escape, which led to the writing of Uncle Tom's cabin, which sparked the Civil War and ended slavery in America. Josiah Hansen was almost overcome by that rage, but he didn't let revenge overtake him. There's so many lessons from that incredible story, but you just, you have to do the right thing in the moment. That's it. That's all you will be held accountable for. so the thing we can do is watch our heart. Watch our heart. Watch your heart. Love your enemies. (sighs) The hardest commandment of them all. All right, we'll wrap up here. That I mentioned a second ago, mourn with those who mourn. Uh, the, The line, like two or three lines after that, Romans 12, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. That is a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 35. Well, Paul's quoting Deuteronomy thirty-two thirty-five. 35. Uh, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. We want that justice now, don't we? So first, know that you deserve a lot of punishment as well. There's no one righteous, not even one. So the humility of it all is very important. But two, God can give out way more wrath than you can even imagine giving anyway. It's better to leave it to him. He'll give it in due time. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We got to get to a thousand five-star reviews and then I'll stop bothering you about, <laughs> about the reviews. Also, please shoot me an email and let me know how wonderful I am and just how good. Now, any constructive criticism you have about this podcast, I would genuinely love to hear it. I, will n- I promise you, I will not have a bit of defensiveness. You don't even need to compliment sandwich your criticism it's all good. If you made it through a 30-minute episode, you have proven that we are on the same team here. It's all good. So I will only take your feedback as iron sharpens iron, I promise. Someone said uh, that I was brave to give my personal email. It's like, I don't know. If you made it this far, if you made it 30 minutes through this, we're all friends. It's all good. Slater Radio, at gmail.com, SlaterRadio at gmail.com. And let me know of any story as well, any story, any topic, any theme that is giving you or a family member or someone you know anxiety. And we will address it here together. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Politics by faith. The Mike Center.